Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, no doubt you've heard the term growth hacking, which essentially is Silicon Valley speak for marketing, customer acquisition and revenue growth, because Silicon Valley doesn't really like marketing or advertising for that matter very much. Think Tesla, Amazon and just about every tech startup. But there's change of foot for the growth hackers. What used to work isn't so much today, and there's an interesting blurring underway between some of the classic principles of marketing and what the growth hacking proponents do. So what's really happening? Well, today, John James is on the mics for a quick update on the alternative marketing scene and what they're up to. John was once an agency operative before moving to San Francisco to do the marketing or growth hacking thing, and then returned to Australia, where he advises mostly service companies and startups. So welcome, John James. Good to have you on the mics. Um, before we get into the meat, uh, let's have a quick history of growth hacking, shall we? Where, how and why it all started and boomed and where it's at today, because it is the predominant, has been the predominant sort of online modus operandi, if you like, of how, how they've operated. So welcome, John, and give us the history. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And look, I just wanted to say a shout out. I love your work. Um, I think it's some of the best journalism I've seen in, in the industry. So um, kudos to you. But yeah, Maybe look- you should just keep talking, John. Why don't you just talk about that <laughs> a little bit more? Yeah, no, no, it's great. Um, And also, yeah, like I think, you know, thanks for letting me be on the show because I have a pretty unique perspective here, having lived there and sort of being through the tail end of some of that traditional phase of marketing, then all the way into today. So I think it all started back in like the pre- 2000, 2001.com boom. So we sort of take us back to the, the late 90s. And- Before we even get there, let me just jump in for a minute. I mean, I am right in the setup by saying that Silicon Valley and tech startups, marketing's a little bit of a dirty word. Growth hacking's a cooler thing for them to do. That's a, a fair reflection of what goes on. That's very true. Um, there was a lot of derision. Go back to two years ago before all these startups started talking about brand, it was even a dirtier word. Now I think it's sort of coming around a bit um, as they right. realize that you know these competitive factors are really... Uh, eating at their core effectiveness, and they're all talking about brand now, ironically. So we've we've basically come full circle. Yes, righto. Good. So I just want to make sure we got that one right. So yes, get us into the roots of this. Where, how did it all start? Well, yeah, look, late 90s, you're probably familiar with Tom Hanks' uh, show, you know, You've Got Mail. There was a lot of hysteria around where is the web going to go? People were using uh, email, Hotmail was big, I remember, MSN, Yahoo. So CompuServe even, maybe. Yeah, like a lot of companies, I, I don't even know because I was too young. Yeah, no, so you're too more. young, exactly. Yeah, I'm old enough. primary school. <laughs> but um, look, you know, I, I do know about the dot-com boom. Uh, I think it was in high school when it actually happened. But um, look, it was a funny time as a lot of money was going into these very... I would say futuristic punts on on where the internet would go, where the web would go, and and the future of business. Um, much like the last couple of years, which is all coming down to crash as we speak right now. But look, mm. um, ridiculous money going to these companies. You know, the pets.com story is, is a pretty perennial thing that gets floated around. Um, but that were just a, a poster child for this big crash. But basically, um, the, the market for a lot of these internet-based uh, business models was probably a bit smaller and more infantile than a lot of the money that was funding them was was trying to, to knit the story of this you know big thing. Uh, when you're going to excess of money, that money tends to get spent poorly um, because they've got to spend it. So the same sort of VC games go on. Um, you know, this this is going to be a big thing, pump and dump schemes. You know, this, this company is going to be huge, but you can't really spend that money. And the markets were obviously a lot smaller than actually was, you know, maybe promised to some of the investors. So yeah, look, that also 
came crashing down. And a lot of that money was spent with traditional marketing agencies at the time. Um, who- and in media, right? It was, it was the mainstream media stuff that was carrying a lot of this, this hype money. Yeah, a lot of TV ads, Super Bowl ads, um, radio spots, you know, magazines everywhere. Um, you know, there was the billboards. Uh, this is sort of started the most expensive billboard strip in the world, which is the 101 in San Francisco going towards the airport. Um, you know, just still to this day is very expensive. So big money was getting spent on big mass media. And it was all about let's get first market brand awareness, all that kind of thing, right? And, you know, that sort of worked for a bit until it all came crashing down and all this money, this money had disappeared. And then these companies and were left and the people who sort of was founding these companies were left this bit of taste in their mouth going, well, that didn't work. Um, we spent all this money and, you know, look what happened. And I don't want to say who's to blame here. It's just, you know, what happens when there's too much money sloshing around. And anyway, that sort of started this derision in Silicon Valley in terms of the business culture around the traditional way of marketing, which is very mass media, paid media, heavy way of growing a business. Um, and that sort of then led us into the sort of 2001s, uh, which is when, you know, PayPal had just started in the 1990s. And this is really the first company that's probably most famous for doing the growth hacking side of things. Obviously, Elon Musk and Peter Thiel are two big ones who merged together with with two other people, one of which founded YouTube. So, you know, this is the royalty of Silicon Valley. And and this is where this sort of technique starts, where um, they were trying to get their payment system into sellers to use. So they were using eBay at the time. And um, you can look this up. I'm not going to bore you with the details. But it was a lot of, um, you know, links at the bottom of emails, a lot of referrals, sort of um, very, I would say, tactical, heavy campaigns that weren't always very scalable. And you had to have a high technical expertise to know how to do these things um, because it wasn't the same infrastructure in software back then. So there was a lot of these very down and dirty techniques that ended up being very, very, very effective and grew PayPal to this this billion dollar company. Um, And that sort of was the the poster child now for this new movement of like, well, we don't trust these marketing agencies. Um, Look what we can do over here. Um, You know, they don't know what they're talking about. So, and that sort of really started this, I would say this growth movement where the product people who are generally product engineers um, in software would then work together with some of the um, analytical people or the, the measurement people and would work together then with some of the marketing people if they had them. And you would work as this cross-functional team all aiming towards this one goal, which is your growth goal, which is whatever you want it to be, but generally user adoption or transactions or something very uh, bottom of funnel that the whole team would work towards in a, in a functional unit. And um, the growth movement has really come out of that cross-functional collaboration, aiming towards a North Star metric or uh, an end sort of uh, goal that pushes the company forward. And that's where it started in in a nutshell. Um, The person who made it, coined the phrase growth hacking is is arguably Sean Ellis, who co-authored a book called Hacking Growth, which is... um, That was until, that was about 2015 though, right? So is that fresh, growth hacking was with a term really, because that's not that long ago. No, no, exactly. So he was doing this, though. Um, a lot of companies were kind of doing this. It spread. I mean, these things take a while to spread through. Um, like PayPal wasn't really big until, you know, mid 2000s. So yeah, look, this happened. And then he was working at Dropbox and everything. And it took him a while before he could then write the book and reveal some of these secrets. So um, yeah, it was a long time coming. But um, I think within those little in the know groups in Silicon Valley, this is the new method. It was validated and it started to spread very organically. And I think there's a lot of founders there that were just ignoring the, the traditional marketing because they didn't need to spend money on it. And so just just talk through, you know, you, you hinted at some of the tactical stuff that, that growth hacking does, but when you start to get serious and sophisticated about this, as many players have, what other things were at their disposal that they, that they did 
in terms of growth hacking execution, if you like, tactics? Yeah, sure. So I suppose, you know, when, when I say marketing to you, when I say it to most people, they instantly think advertising or they think promotions of some sort. Growth really is a combination of products, pricing, packaging. So you're offering and pricing is very interlinked with that. Then it's, uh, that's related to your monetization model. And then um, you're working very close with product and engineers as well. And you bring in elements of the market with feedback loops in terms of um, you can measure things because it was digital. So you didn't need to do traditional market research because you had an instant behavioral digital feedback loop to then right. self-optimize and give you instant feedback. So it was this quick sort of iterative test and learn scientific method applied to the marketing function. And that's essentially what growth or growth hacking is. I think there's a term growth hacking can be taken to this other area, which really, Sean just said it, it was a cool term that everybody liked in Silicon Valley, which is why I called it growth hacking. But um, essentially, just the growth process of test and learn, scientific testing. Mm. So AB testing and beyond, though, sort of the more sophisticated AB plus yeah, yeah. So like AB is just one one form of testing. But I mean, if you've yeah. got digital anal- analytics suite, you can track what people are doing. You can you can do an experiment. So you could split test two things or, or put a new pricing model out there. And within a day or two with enough users, you can, with high accuracy, tell the team whether you should keep doing that thing or not. So it was this very quick testing thing that you can't get through a traditional agency relationship because, you know, you're going through Chinese whispers through your account manager and blah, 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 to the person who actually executes the work. And that that may take weeks because, you know, you've got other clients. So internal teams can do that a lot faster. So um, a lot of these startups start to be quite insular in terms of, the, in terms of their teams and talent um, and wouldn't really use outside providers for anything. Mm. And so what's happened? Um, that worked for a while. I think we've talked earlier about it some of the tactics they did, even some of the media channels, uh, the digital channels started to get really expensive for customer acquisition and, and almost made some of these startups, um, you know, they couldn't even start up because it was too expensive. What happened? Yeah, big time. So um, I suppose, and this is interesting because uh, people aren't aware that they're fallen for pricing penetration by by social media and, and search companies. But basically the, the big channels were sort of email as your sort of direct connection with the customers, you know, in-app performance or in-web performance because you own the property. So you could kind of test those things and send them notifications, whatever. Um, and it was then um, search. So Google was quite a f- quite new at the time, 1999, they came on stage and did their thing. And a lot of people were using that as their first port of call to find new things uh, that they weren't aware of. And then Social came a bit later, but it was in its infancy around, you know, forums and very early stages of what we now call social media platforms. Um, and it was those things that, um, so for example, Craigslist was used a lot in the early days for Airbnb's growth. So a lot of people don't know. They right. basically no, were right. programmed a hack into, into that system and automated this thing at scale that would put Airbnb properties on Craigslist at scale as like a, a lead gen and demand lever into Airbnb's early days. So when, when was that though? It was 2008, 2010, was it? Or when was that? Yeah, pretty early. Uh, yeah, I, I can't right. give the exact date. It's actually in Sean's yeah. book if you want to read it, but um, right. I can't remember. But yeah, look, that was in the days when you could spam and hack into other or exploit the weaknesses in other systems, and this is kind of where the name comes from, to then use to your advantage. The problem right. with growth hacking is that the more people that know about the hack, the quicker that it gets detected by someone and then they clamp down on it. So all hacks in this regard are quite fleeting in terms of time. There's a very finite time where you can really get the really good yield. So coming back to your question, a lot of um, Google's early days with uh, organic search um, before they started to monetize and have to pay for it, that is a penetration for pricing model in terms of let's do it for free, absorb all the costs, you guys use it, 
spreads like wildfire more people use it and then we'll slowly slip in uh, more and more ads until we get to where we are today where it's mostly ads and it's very hard to get the same yield that you could before but anyway a lot of people use that and that's just one example facebook when it first started it was just all human people you could get really really good reach things would go viral really easily uh, there was no like fake spam accounts in there so you know it was a really really valuable tool to use um email was the same we didn't have spam filters to the same level of sophistication that we do now so um you know everything will go into your inbox nobody really had that much mail so it was really high yielding channel mm. and what's really happened is that where we are today especially I think it really peaked in 2015 if I had to pick a year but since then um, a lot of the yields have come down a lot of these companies are now having to justify their revenue and valuations um, and you've just seen a sort of a restriction in those yields but there's a lot of legacy uh, mentality even in the startup world about the the lucrative yields of some of these traditional digital media if you want to use so it. their default position is to go and do what everyone's done before them even though it's not working yet because they perceive it still to be working is that what happens yeah so like if you read the 2017 um, book hack and grow for example i wouldn't be using half of those things anymore they completely you can't do that there's anti-spam protections there's very low yields there's um, lag effects that are now intentional that they weren't there before so it'd be a very ineffective tactical approach to use those same sort of channels um but startups still do because they read this book from five years ago and think that's what it's like now but it's not right it's a very, it's moved very on that fast yeah and so where is it how is it and where is it evolving what is happening now growth hacking can still be done is there still would you do you call yourself a growth hacker I prefer to use the term just like growth um, because I, right. I, but then people go, well, what is that? Well, it's kind of just, my joke is that it's just a rebranded name for marketing from Silicon Valley because they didn't like the word marketing. Essentially, yes. it's the same thing. It's like, that's what I'm saying. I'm going full circle back to the four Ps, like product, distribution, pricing, and promotion and promotion, using those all yeah. in concert together um, and taking a sort of agnostic view about, you know, these growth levers. And I think, you know, what's happened in the last couple of years is that um, you know, traditional marketers, they've, they've been isolated into this very paid media promotional sort of box hole. And, you know, the, the product has gone to, I don't know, I mean, internal teams, um, the McKinsey's and consultants have come in and, and Deloitte's and EY's and tried to do their hand at, you know, some of the business level marketing, strategic marketing strategy, like poorly, I would say. And then, you know, the pricing goes off to the finance team and it's all disconnected. And then the funny thing out of this is like marketing is the one that gets the blame for everything when it goes wrong, when they, they don't really or not in control of the levers needed to, um, mm. to do all this because it's all interlinked. You can't separate these out. So I think, mm. you know, coming back to growth, it's this cross-functional piece between all these levers that have to work in unison um, before you really see that thing. So I use the term growth, but anyway. So then do we see, let's still let's go with the term growth hacking because um, it still sounds a little bit cool, doesn't it? So let's go with growth hacking versus your conventional marketing and marketers. marketers are they living in parallel universes or are we starting to see some convergence? Uh, well, look, uh, I think, like I said, some of the focus now has gone back towards brand, right? So This is in the, amongst the VCs and the tech startups. Yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of the big uh, tech startups, are obviously, are, 
are aware that some of the yields are declining, some of these other channels. So they're going to other channels and more traditional media to now, like if you look at Canva, there's there's outdoor everywhere. Mm. And like I know in my local area and all the airports, there's, there's ads everywhere. So like, I think there's a level of maturity where you get these diminishing um, yield curves with a lot of these channels. So, you know, you can only grow so far before you saturate them and you got to add another channel, another channel. And a lot of these traditional growth hacking channels have been saturated by a lot of these firms. The yields are declining. So they're going... And doing the sums going, well, is our money best spent elsewhere? Um, so that's why there's all this talk about brand communities, um, owned media assets, like, um, you know, affiliate content sites and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, look, the smart ones are already there. The ones that are trying to use a 2017 playbook to grow in 2022 are, are failing miserably. Um, and even some of the big ones are, are noticing like a bit of a revaluation about uh, how they spend the money and the teams that they create. So all these um, traditional marketing roles are now going back into into tech. Um, so, you know, this does get us to ultimately to this whole notion of, you know, hacking and tactics versus building brand and building brand fast, building some brand yep. fame fast to get awareness and consideration as you move through the, you know, what you'd call the purchase funnel or the, uh, the sales funnel at least. So what does good look like now in a tech startup context for marketing or growth hacking? What is the mix? What is the arsenal? Yeah. So, I mean, this would change a lot for different stages of the startup and, and where they are and where their budgets they, they have at their disposal. I would say, though, that it's gone from, hey, um, channel search, channel social email, which is the sort of three bread and butter and, you know, some blogs on the back end of that, which sort of play into the whole content marketing thing. You know, the whole blog thing has been killed pretty substantially. So that's really hard to do now. So why is that though? So what happened there? What happened with blogs was the new, was de rigueur. So it's called a content quality filter. A lot of people don't understand what this is, but Basically, Google introduced this and we're testing it. Um, social media networks do it now on your posts. Um, so regardless of how famous or big you are, um, your content has to will be tested by people who have visited over a period of time. And um, if it's not good or holding up to expectations, it will sort of be bumped down. And um, that discretion has, the ratchet has been turned up a lot compared to what it used to be. So the way of like hacking the algorithm used to be to create all these blog posts about every single question or query that anybody inside that product category could ever have and write a really cool piece of content about it, publish it on your website as a blog, um, even though, you know, you may own that website as a business or not, or it's on the back end of your website, it doesn't matter. And that in the aggregate, while it would only get a tiny bit of traffic, if you did that like 100,000 times, you'd have crazy amounts of traffic that's quite qualified coming into your site. Um, And obviously that was the hack. Google went, okay, well, we don't want that because we want to sell ads. Um, So let's turn that down and limit that, those factors. And then I don't want to get into the details, but like, that's why it was big. And that's why nobody talks about blogging anymore. Uh, Mm. So yeah, that's just one example. But yeah, I would say the mix is turning to more, I mean, outdoor, I would say. what else? Owning communities is really big right now. So people are talking about, and there's providers who can do this, but Slack channel groups, um, there's all these other platforms that you can create your own sort of community with webinars and video content and stuff like an exclusive community. Substack's really big right now, which is sort of blurring between um, you know newsletters and like a bit of your own, your own content sort of community system. There's Patreon, there's, there's heaps of places like that now. So there's some really good communities. If you can get in them and infiltrate them, that will get you really good target markets. Newsletters, so you can sponsor or do a co sort of content thing with somebody else's newsletter uh, that's always a really good way of doing things if you want to get a specific audience these are high touch tactics though yeah podcasting who would have thought but they're, they're high touch let me tell you podcasting's high touch it takes a little bit of effort to do it well which um, is why it works yes right 
fair point. <laughs> High touch though. So if you're talking about conventional marketing or even um, startups trying to get to somewhere fast, this requires a lot of effort. Well, exactly. Which is why it's all sort of getting categorized as brand because it doesn't give you instant attributable results in a digital analytics sense back into your acquisition uh, measurement system, right? So search, right, back in the day, really easy to go, okay, someone clicked on this, searched this, went to a website, checked out, or did this action, uh, directly attributable. And there's this legacy mentality now that's still there in the market. Everyone wants to measure everything to the nth degree. Facebook system, when it came out, ads was like, you can measure every single person coming to this thing, doing this action. Okay, so that cost us $5. The, we got an acquired customer for X. So you, you know economics, you go to your investor and go, hey, we can get customers for $5, give us another million dollars and we can ratchet this up. So there we go, okay, here's another million dollars. Now that's becoming a lot more blurry because of the, the whole privacy saga. Um, mm. So they've had to sort of blow those things. And that has been really the, the death knell for that that approach or that way of thinking in this startup scene and tech scene. Um, so a lot of traditional brands are getting there now, but the, you know, we've known about this for like a decade or, or at least five years. So that's why they're then going, okay, let's change our attribution model. Let's incorporate some of these longer burn things into the, um, like a content play. It's quite a long burn thing, as you would know mm. that, but it does ratchet up in the future. And I, I think that's why they're hiring all these sort of brand people now, because that's just not a capability that they had or a mentality. So they're bringing in that external expertise. So when you say they are hiring, who's they and what are you seeing there? This is the startups and VC companies sort of encouraging these startups to Head hire brand. traditional brand or marketing people. Is it traditional brand and marketing talent that you're talking about, capabilities? Well, yeah. I mean, I'll just use one example. A really good brand person used to work at Coca-Cola, FMCG, uh, Yelena. She last year, probably a year ago, a bit more than a year ago, was hired as Miro. Miro is this digital whiteboarding program that a lot of people use. It was really big during the pandemic. Really good product too. Uh, like I used it. Um, she was hired right. from Coca-Cola for FMCG uh, after right. doing a bit of you know, consulting on the side to be the head of brand global for that company. So this is one example, but this is happening everywhere. And it's because when you are in a more competitive market, and this is the whole irony with the startup scene, is that in the past, it was just a factor of like low competition that you could create the startup and it would be successful. So they all thought, oh, marketing's dead, marketing sucks. The point is it wasn't competitive, so you didn't need to build brand or whatever as a defensive moat. Now, if you look at, what's his name, Brinker? Um, there's this guy who does these like MarTech landscape maps. Oh, Scott, Scott Brinker. Scott Brinker. Okay. So have yeah. you seen those over the past yes. five years? Oh, well, not on really MarTech. Small. It's a bit like the Lumascape stuff, right, though? Yeah, sort of, yeah. So basically, he I mean, people can Google it, but um, he just started mapping out all the logos and different categories of all the MarTech sort of landscape. And it started very small. Like, you could see it in a thumbnail view what the logos were. And then over the years, I think the last one he just did, there's like thousands of competitors uh, now mm. and like 100 direct competitors in each category. So, like, obviously, it's just a factor of competition that these startups now are going, well, we need something more defensible than presence on a Google blog, you know, on search or some fleeting Facebook ads, we need you know something that that will be a, a more defensible moat. Um, what's the best thing for that? A brand, and that's I think where this is coming from now. It's just a factor of competition. Well, we are. I mean, I'm hearing quite a lot across different agency groups actually um, that they are seeing. 
big, big growth for themselves in, in working with startups for this very reason, I guess. This is what's going on. Yeah, and some of them are probably a bit more mature level now. So that's what I was saying about like the tactics I would recommend are very different. Like when you're getting started, you just want to get some traction, some fit and, and prove your business model. But some of these startups now have been in the, you know, 10 years, eight years. Um, they've got serious money, serious revenue. So they're actually a good client for some of these um, more traditional sort of agency relationships that wouldn't have been able to afford, you know, that luxury before. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to name names, but I mean, I, I spoke to think about, they were doing some interesting things um, in that space that, that I heard of from mm. other people. And they sort of adopting, I suppose, that newer age way of um, approaching the problem, which isn't just like, hey, 30 second TVC radio spot, you know, all the high margin media that some more traditional agencies may be familiar with. They're thinking a bit more outside the box and mixing owned media uh, channels with, you know, paid media and earned media and sort of using them in tandem instead of like going 90% paid media. You know, thank you right. for coming, take my commission, you know, take my margin, go away. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's that's interesting. And coming back to your article that I saw earlier this week about the Sayers group, I mean, this is what right. private equity companies have been doing for like decades. It's nothing new, um, but I think it's just gaining more popularity in terms of that being an effective approach. Now, now that mm. the yields from the mass media as, as media fragments uh, are dissipating quicker than ever. But at the same time, um, a lot of them are still using, you know, main media to accelerate the brand awareness bit as well as whatever else goes underneath that, right? So this is the bit where, so how long does this current sprint that we're seeing, how long has it got legs for? Has it got life beyond a short cycle? The market's getting battered right now. So what's happening in the tech market is that all the unit economics and, and future growth um, valuations that have been baked into their initial valuation are being tested now. So now the whole discussion is going back to like revenue, profit margin fundamentals. And that's like the name of the game right now. And you're seeing you, the companies that are holding up really well have those really good financials uh, in, in set. And the ones that are getting affected the most, the ones that have the most fluffiest valuations. Are the blue skies. Yeah, exactly. And look, that's just business. But I mean, um, now it's vogue again to be a bit more fiscally responsible in the startup plan. Um, right. So, and I think um, what we're seeing in in the marketing sort of supplier or vendor side of things is um, maybe they've exhausted some and saturated some pools of customers that are the sort of more heavy users. And some of these brands are getting mature enough now to go, okay, well, we need mass fame. We need to go to the light users. We want everyone using a version of our product, whether you know, it's a light product and then a heavy feature product. They sort of, they're splitting product offerings up into different segments and being a bit wiser about, okay, well, we want to be a household software brand now. We don't want to just be no one in, you know, the, the creative um, media circles. Um, we want, you know, students to use us. We want mums and dads to use us. So you can see that. And, and coming back to like companies like Canva, they're doing that very well. They're going they're going broad, they're going global. And to do that, yeah. you, you know, you need to reach everyone and once you exhaust pools over here with these certain mediums, you need to spread into other mediums and go after that marginal user acquisition. So let me sort of get some clarity with you on brand. So you're a proponent of, of the need to build brand, but you're not necessarily convinced that how you build brand is in, in conventional, always, and it's, it's a mix, but it's not always only about traditional marketing or traditional media or conventional mainstream media. Is that right? You think this marketing, traditional marketing is still operating a bit too narrow? Well, I think, you know, when everyone thinks brand in the agency world, they think brand advertising campaign. <laughs> and obviously right. agencies like that because it's the highest margin, lowest accountability campaign they'll ever run, right? So it's like, great, good margins. And then if it doesn't work, doesn't produce sales, I won't be blamed because we're building the brand. The best way to build a brand really is through adoption and usage, right? Behavior can can change perceptions. I mean, this is this is science. Um, you know, Ross was just talking about this the other day from Asahi. And like just last week, I saw... 
I went to a I can't say who, but a very large publishing group in the country who were saying, oh, look, um, here's our here's our case for advertising uh, using all these different channels that they owned. And, you know, the, the perception that this is a favorable category brand went up by 2%. And, you know, all these kind of perception things. And I'm like, well, I know for a fact that you don't need to do that. And that's like science has sort of almost debunked that. So, you know, cool. But that's the incentive. And that's the, that's the sort of narrative that they sort of uh, sell. And of course, they're an ad media uh, company. So, but just be clear there: you don't think then that sort of these, some of these, which a lot of brands still use, marketers still use as brand uplift studies, brand awareness. You don't think they have a link to a growth agenda at all? There's increasingly mm-hmm. there is arguments saying that they do, but you're not buying it by the sounds of it. Well, look, you can build a brand by selling and getting people to use your product. So, what the growth industry does very well, and this is software, so I can't speak about other uh, products. It's not always possible, right? But uh, one of the things they do well is like a free offering or a, a ladder or a leg in the foot in the door sort of product that um, can go out to the masses, gets people using you. You don't make any money off it, but the marginal variable cost of software is like negligible, close to zero. So you can do this, but like you can get a lot of adoption with a free product. And that's what Canva did, for example. Um, that's what Hotmail did. Um, and that's why the thinking is very different because that's sort of product sampling slash distribution thinking there. And then you can upsell a segment of those people to a higher tier product and a higher tier product. Mm. And again, I just want to iterate, you can't do this in FMCG, right? There's only so many sort of, um, you want to sample your meat pies. There's only so many shopping centers. You can have someone cooking up meat pies and and footfall that will go past that. So I'm not saying that that's not- And it gets expensive. Yeah, exactly. It's inherently unscalable. It's very scalable with software. I I just want to say like, I think we can use the best of both worlds here um, in different contexts. And like, I understand how brands work and that, you know, sometimes you do need to advertise to, to get your brand out there. I mean- FMCG, you're in a in an area of perfect competition almost. I mean, you are looking for those marginal increases um, in in your market share and penetration. So you probably have to go to to some of these mass media companies and and spend a lot. So I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying perhaps we can take some learnings from the brand world, and then you know you don't always have to start with a brand advertising campaign to build your brand. There are mm-hmm. there are other ways. Like let's think a bit more out of the box when it comes to that. And yeah, that's that's what I'm a big proponent of. Good perspective. So what next then, John, as we wrap this one up? What, like, what do you think's coming? You, you hinted at, you know, the pressure that's back on uh, startups and VC because of some fiscal responsibility and they're under pressure now. You know, the stock prices are, are on the down at the moment. So what do you see cap happening in the next 12 months, 18 months um, across the board, but particularly in the area of, of whatever we call growth hacking, but beyond? How's this play out? Well, the, the big buzzwords of the minute uh, is, you know, coming back to what I said before, communities, um, owned media, right? Um, I was just talking to the Flipper CEO the other day, and he's seeing like huge demand for people buying media assets that they can use and leverage as an ownership thing. So instead of renting audiences, which is what advertising is, uh, you can own the asset, manage the asset and and use it for your own sort of customer acquisition process. Well, let's step back a bit. For those that don't know, Flipper, it's a marketplace. Well, explain what Flipper is and what you're seeing being traded. Uh, So digital assets, they say, and businesses. So um, for example, if you had a blog um, that was about biscuits and it had a lot of traffic and you had a big email list of subscribers and stuff, you could package all that up and then sell it on this marketplace to someone like, say, Arnott's who might want to buy it and use it and it, maybe it's not explicit that there's an ownership there between Arnott's and, and this blog, but you can use that as your audience that you own. You own all the cookie data and everything. You could then put your Arnott's ads on there. You could then use those emails and and do an offer. You know, there's lots of things you could do to leverage that asset. So acquiring owned assets, if you like. Yeah, right. exactly. 
I mean, you can build them from scratch, but they sometimes take a while, right? Depending on how good your team is. And then someone has to manage them and grow them. So what I'm seeing is that a lot of people are, are going to that sort of own media thing. So they don't have the reliance um, in terms of their cash burn on these more expensive um, renting of audiences. So that's one thing I see that's really big. Content? Yeah. So obviously you need content to then create these kind of assets, right? Otherwise, what's the point? So content's really big. Um, and I think it's going away from written blog content, um, as I've already mentioned, to more rich, harder to copy content, which is, you know, video, podcasting. It's really hard to, um, and I was talking to my producer about this, you can't fake a video, the sincerity of a video. It's really hard. But I can easily copy someone else's social media post that I know is popular, rehash it, pretend it's mine and get you know, a lot of fame out yeah, of that. Right. So yeah, um, I'm seeing sort of more of those higher friction medias coming into the fore because, you know, that's that's a, like a lot of deeper connection. Um, and I see, yeah, traditional media, like let's <laughs> going back to outdoor and things like this, direct mail, chunky mail sent to people's inboxes. Right. Why the hell um, startups aren't using that? And especially direct to consumer startups who have their address is beyond me. It's like, stop spending money on Google ads, send them a piece of chunky mail or something, you know, like idiots. Well, ironically, Google's doing it itself. It's actually doing in-mail, like physical mail, mail programs, which is direct marketing before digital came along. I know, I know. So that's what I'm saying. Like, if you take an agnostic media view of this, it's like you can really easily ignore because of where you come from. Like, say I was a digital person, I'm going to ignore traditional. If I'm traditional, I'm going to ignore digital. If I'm growth, I'm going to ignore some really lucrative, you know, traditional media channels. So if you take an agnostic view, you, you think a bit more broadly and you go, actually, let's go against the grain and go back to what's old school. So coming back to your question, I'll be looking at all the mediums that people aren't using that are not popular. And that stuff, mm -hmm. just like the 70s, 80s fashion that's coming back with mullets, will come yes. back in fashion again, right? And so it does these cycles. So I'm always chasing yield when I'm making these decisions and testing things out and seeing if it's effective. And I think, you know, if you don't do that, you're really overlooking a lot of opportunity. Great conversation. I could keep going, John, but I think that this is a sufficient tease for my audience to go, mm, we need to know more. It is fascinating. What's new is old and what's old is new and it, everything goes round and round, doesn't it? It's extraordinary. I was saying the other day, you know, you're getting a bit old, like, you know, I'm in my sort of mid to late thirties. Um, you know, you're getting old. Oh my old God, when, are you that old? <laughs> no, older than I was before, but uh, yes. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like you know, you're old when you see the cycle that was your youth come back in fashion again. And I think yes. you know, you know, you're getting along when that happens twice. Yes, right. Yeah. And when you really know it's it's danger territory when I've seen some things three, four times, and you still see people not believing. They sit there, and to your point, they're dismissive of some of the stuff that's old that still works. So great conversation. I think we'll look back, and maybe what we'll do next is look at some of the actual things that are happening in this market in Australia, what some companies that are doing, what they're actually doing, given we're out of time. But great to chat, John, and let's get you back. No worries. Sounds good. Thanks for chat, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free.